0: Hoodoo plant mamas. Get your soul fed and your spirit red. This here and the trend. I possess the power from way back when. Back when folk was ripped from all of their kin So they had to find the magic
1: within.
0: And set ancestors together my earth, I conjure at my altar. Hoodoo plant mamas. I manifest growth and I release trauma. Child, we just out here trying to water our plants and mind our business, you know? Everybody from the deep south, man. Everybody can't have a culture like us.
1: Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of Hootie Plant Mamas. I am your co host, Lynn Nicole, and I'm Danny B. And today we get to talk to. Hari Ziad. But before we do that, Danny B, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing okay right now. I'm super tired. I I don't know. I think it might be the rain. It's like officially kind of fall. And so it's been cloudy and it's raining. And I just want to, I got my uh, cashmere candle lit. And so I really just want to be laying down chilling, not even, I don't even know if I would be sleeping. I just want to just lay down and rest. (laughs) literally so um, I'm doing okay a little gloomy but I'm here how about you
1: yeah I feel that it's raining here too Um, and it's been like a very soggy September I know like I wanted to start fall gardening I even talked about it a little bit on the Patreon and I've just kind of had to wait until it dries up hopefully I'm hoping that October will be a bit kinder to me and that I'll be able to put my seeds in the ground,
0: but yes, I'm super excited about that. I like the sound of that. Well, um let's get into some gratitude. What are you thankful for this week?
1: Uh, I know in our last episode I talked about just kind of being at a standstill with writing, but recently I got a little little bit of inspiration. So, I I'm grateful for that inspiration. I'm grateful for the direction and I'm just grateful to be writing again. What about you? What are you grateful for?
0: I I didn't really think about it today, but, um, I guess I'm grateful. Yeah. I'm thankful for myself today. (laughs) I'm thankful for friends and, you know, Everything's been a little weird, but I'm, yeah, I'm here. I'm thankful to be here. All right, well, let's get into some ways to support the Hoodoo Plant Mamas podcast. You can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at Hoodoo Plants and Instagram at Hoodoo Plant Mamas. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. To monetarily support our podcast, you can join our Patreon We have a $2 tier for those who want to give every month to show their support. Um, And then our $5 all access tier includes monthly mini-souls, card pools, and plant content. Also, we got a new patron recently. Thank you, Ari, for becoming a patron. We're so excited to have you.
1: Yes, thank you, Ari. If you prefer a one-time donation, you can give any amount you want on Cash App, cash who do plant mamas or PayPal who do plant mamas at gmail.com. We also want to thank you, Julia, for your donation last week. Um, if anyone is interested in sponsoring an episode, feel free to email us at hoodoplantmamas at gmail.com. We especially want to work with black, indigenous, poc owned, and queer-owned businesses. Let's get into this interview. Hey. So today we are joined by Hari. Hari, would you mind introducing yourself?
2: Sure, yeah. My name is Hari Ziad. I am a writer, a screenwriter, an author, a journalist, um, author of Black Boy Out of Time. It's a memoir about growing up Black queer in Cleveland. Um, I'm sure we'll talk more about that. Um, And... Yeah, that's where I'm from, Cleveland, but I currently live in Brooklyn. Um and I'm really excited to be joining. Yes, you all. we're
1: excited you are joining us. Yes, we did want to talk about Black Boy Out of Time. Um and so my first question is something that I loved was your discussion or your exploration of religion. So you talked about your father And that he said, God is whatever helps us get to self-realization, regardless of the road you take. And you talk about how both of your parents kind of moved away from Christianity to these different um, religions, your father to Islam, your mother and your grandmother to Hare Krishna. And they both did it kind of in the hopes of finding a more liberating religion but you argue that there is no religion that has saved black people in the colonized world. So I'm kind of wondering like how did you arrive at hoodoo and do you think it has mm-hmm. saved or comforted you in this colonized world?
2: Yeah. So um so much of what my parents did um in their own exploration set me up for my journey. Um I th- I see it as like an extension of what they were doing. Like you said, they both um, were born and raised um, Christian. Um, my mother, in particular, did this long journey through various religions with her mother. Um, and like you said, it was about them trying. I think this is. I mean, these are some of this is things that I was reading into their journey. But uh, I thought I think that they were trying to find something that felt more free to them. And so they arrived. My mother as, into Hare Krishna religion, which is a version of Hinduism. And my dad um is Muslim, and they did a lot of interfaith work to to that end um and then I, as I explore in the book, there was still a lot of uh, even though that was really freeing in the sense of like we grew up knowing that we didn't have to uh practice like people around us in our community which which allowed us to um to explore and to to push the limits of the constraints that are generally around black children and what's available to them. Um, There still was a lot of, in particular, homophobia that was uh, a part of the way that they practice. And I think that that limitation is in seeing that even in contrast to the freeing ways that they practice, kind of pushed me to to think maybe there's something more. Um, And so that idea that there could possibly be something more is what really led me to trying to explore hoodoo and African traditional religions, um, Because I think the, the ways that homophobia in particular were adopted by my parents um, was kind of a reflection of the fact that these were still not religions that, um, that could hold space for them and for, for us as full black people. Um, and I think the only way to do that for me, at least, is to go as far back as I can towards, you know, the religions of our ancestors. Um, and so, and I love the fact that you know, hoodoo kind of facilitates a lot of, of of continuing that path that my parents did. Like, I don't have to throw away all of the stuff that they learned, um, all of the things that still benefit me from that practice. I can incorporate that into um, my journey too. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to do. You know, uh, I still, there's still a lot that I take from, in particular, Hinduism and use that, you know, in my altar work, um, in particular, after my mother passed away, that there's still a lot that I communicate through, you know, that's the language that she knew. Um, so yeah, that's how I ended up here. Sorry, that was like a long circuitous... <laughs> way of explaining that. But yeah, and, and uh, it's still a journey. I'm definitely by no means an expert on hoodoo or anything. Uh, and I'm uh, still taking it day by day. And to answer your the second part of your question, I I do feel like it's, it's much more liberating. Um, and I do feel a lot freer mm. um, as I continue this practice.
1: Yes, I love that. And I do agree with what you have to say. I have felt like I can incorporate kind of the things that I learned in the church into hoodoo, but it's a lot, it's a lot more accepting of who I am like fully instead of like, I have to be a certain way um, under this Mm -hmm. religion. So, yes. So a term that you define in your book is misaphropedia. And so we had an episode last season called children is divine. Um, and we kind of talked about this, I don't want to say full hatred, but it's like this um, devaluing of mm-hmm. children, specifically Black children. And so you wrote that misaphropedia creates monsters out of Black children for simply existing. So I was wondering, could you elaborate more on what that term is and how maybe we can begin to move away from misaphropedia in an anti-Black world?
2: Yeah, so um, misopropedia is a term that I ca- crafted. A misopedia is a word that just means the hatred of children. Um, and I was inspired a lot by Moya Bailey and, and the way that she coined the term misogynoir, um, which really facilitated, I think a, a lot, a streamlining conversations around how the intersection of blackness and womanhood um, and ha- affects black women in particular. Um, And so obviously we know, you know, at the intersection of childhood and and blackness too, that there's a specific way that black children move um, and are received in this world. Um, And I think it's really central to name that. And I think that at least for me, my work starts there. And so I wanted to have a term that defined the way that um, black children are devalued, um, the ways, you know, that the school to prison pipeline operates in particular around Black childhood, the way that um, Black children are precluded from notions of gender um, and to being just in general free to explore themselves and come into themselves. Uh, and so I used, you know, just added Afro into that to, to, to name Black children in particular. Um, and I... I needed to start there, too, because when I was writing the book, I was thinking through all of these ideas without using that term. But um, I realized that, you know, all of the traumas that I was working through, this book really, to me, was about healing through, you know, different traumas of being black and queer, and in particular growing up in my family. But it all led back to childhood and it all led back to the ways that I was you denied access to being a child. Um, and so um, I posit that that's the case for black people in general, that the ways that childhood is denied from us, um, is really central to the types of traumas that we hold. And it's healing through that requires, um, you know, allowing black children to be free and, and getting connected to the childhood aspects of yourself as an adult, um, and healing through the childhood trauma. Uh, and so to answer your, the second part of your question, how do we start to do that? Um, I think for me, it's recognizing, you know, that um, we, still, we still have access to our childhoods, even as adults. And so I, I did a lot of inner child work in that book, uh, which was really central to my healing process, uh, because I thought for a long time, you know, I'm not a child anymore, like, so that's gone, whatever experiences that I've had. I'm so disconnected from that. Um, and um, Hoodoo really was the starting point of thinking, you know, that we don't have to think about time so linearly. Um, and so once you stop thinking of time so linearly, it, it opens up an opportunity to uh, reconnect to your childhood in a different way. Uh, and so I think on a personal level, doing that inner child work is, is really uh, helpful and, and really healing. But also, you know, inter- engaging with actual children, too, and making sure that we're not perpetuating those cycles of violence um, that contribute to misafropedia, that contribute to them not being able to exist fully in this world, um, is, I think, the starting point for a lot of our liberation work.
0: I love that, and I love how you center, like, Black childhood in your work. Um, I'll say I've been super resistant to the idea of inner child um, work. Like, it's just something like, before I even knew that that's what it was, I was like, it's certain stuff from my childhood. I'm not interested in going back there. Like, I avoid it. But I really love the notes and prayers to your childhood self that you incorporated in the book and the reckoning with the ways we internalize Afropedia, even in childhood and wielded against our peers something I have had to work through I, it was like so much that I was like resonating with because I have I have carried resentment from other black children into adulthood mm. um to this day that I'm still working through and so um a few months ago <laughs> I feel like I keep bringing this up and Leah has probably heard it a bunch of times that I talked about, um, this feeling of wondering if our inner, our past selves, our inner children, like linger like spirits. Um, and like when you're like really going through it and trying to avoid all those demons, it's like, they're just floating around, like begging you to like, talk to me, nurture me, um, do all these things that I needed. And, um, so I was wondering, like, could you describe the experience of like not only writing back to your inner child, but also reckoning with your own internalized Miss Afropedia, which you you do a lot in the book. But I was reading it and I was like, wow, like I, I can't imagine that experience because of how much you really have to like dig, dig, dig mm-hmm. into that part of yourself. And so, yeah, could you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, and I I really resonate with you saying, you know, that you had trouble with inner child work. And I touched on it a little bit in the book, but I definitely did too. But what I realized, and that's why Hoodoo was so helpful to me, for me, at least, that resistance felt so similar to the resistance I had around ancestor work at first. Um, you know, in particular, you know, there are some ancestors that I had really fraught relationships with, and I know you all talk about this a lot in your podcast. Um, working through that and realizing that you know that work is going to be difficult, and all of those fears and and things are real. Um, uh, being able to work through that in in my altar work, um, in particular around my grandmother is what prepared me to do some of the the work that I was resistant to do around inner child. And so I definitely believe also, you know, that those parts of us do function like spirits. And I think that um, that work parallels a lot. And even if you don't do inner child work, you know, the way that it's clinically um, prescribed in therapy or something, I think we can do that work um, and take a lot of what we learned from working with ancestors to do that work. Um, I've probably got more from, you know, doing that and and practicing my spirituality than I did in in my actual therapy sessions. And so that is kind of what that process was like. It felt a lot like um, the difficult conversations I was trying to have with my grandmother. Um, It felt a lot like, you know, honoring the parts of me that were were resistant and questioning those and and not just pushing those away. and, And those are really real and figuring out where that came from. Um, and being gentle with myself as I did that, like you don't have to do dive into your deepest traumas the first time you start doing interchild work, child work. Um, inner child work. Um, so yeah, that was kind of what that process was like. And as a writer, it made it easier. I have a at first I was having a lot more um, problems just you know speaking to that part of me, and so like putting that on paper was really helpful. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of the things that came up, there was so much that came up, but a lot of it was also realizing, um, you know, like you said, so much of the things that I internalized um, that were harmful to other Black children. And a lot of those things are things that I was uh, still weaponizing against myself, too. Um, and so, in engaging that childhood part of myself, uh, I learned a lot about how I engage with Black children in general. And so, those things came up um, in writing through that. I'm talking to that part, those parts of me, um, with the gentleness that we just talked about, and, and with that understanding, and trying to be as you know least punitive as possible as those things come up uh, is really uh, what I was just trying to do. And so um, I think I'm st- it's still a process. Like I don't think I'm healed through you know the harmful things that I carry, uh, uh, in particular how I engage black children. Um, but that process of, of working through um, and engaging with my, those parts of myself um, have allowed me to, to see things that I would have never even seen before and to heal through them in ways that were primarily have been helpful for myself, because like I said, I do use those things to weaponize against myself, um, but have also helped me to heal through how I engage with other Black children.
0: I love that, and I, I know earlier you mentioned um, how a part of that work is engaging with Black children, actual Black children, and I remember, I, I didn't have this word, obviously, when I was teaching middle school, but I remember that I didn't realize like how much I had to work through with my relationship to Black children, how that was related to whatever I was holding against myself. But now like having this language from your book and thinking back on that experience, I was like, I can see why I was, you know, had this tug of war with like trying to empathize with my students and hold mm-hmm. space for whatever it was they were triggering in me. So yeah, I'm just super thankful for what you, what you offered me um, in this.
1: I wanted to say, I also agree with you. Like I, have also had kind of resistance with older adults in my life with the way that I think children should be treated and the way that they think children children should be treated. And so it's just kind of like, I think for me, I am always very conscious about what I needed as a child. And even now as an adult, I'm trying to be conscious about giving myself what was denied to me when I was younger.
0: So mm-hmm. I think
1: in that way too, I kind of try to do some inner child work, try to dismantle a bit of misaphropedia that I'm still internalizing.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Like giving yourself, even if you're not just speaking to yourself or writing to yourself, giving yourself the space that to, to exist in your childhood uh, freely. Um, or the childhood aspects that come up and and being gentle with those things. Mm. Um, So being gentle with the things that come up because of trauma that's unresolved um, and trying to, to to care for those parts of yourself. That's ultimately what inner child work is. Um, And so it can look like a variety of different things for different people. Um, But that's been so central to, I think, when you put it in those terms, like, I, I think that that's so central to the healing work we all need to do. And I think that's, it's obvious, you know, that there's, we have to be loving to those parts of ourselves in order to, to, to be free.
1: Yes. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask a question about liberation. So you wrote in your book, I wanted to ask how she could find liberation in a belief system that puts the onus of eradicating anti-Blackness on those who are destroyed by it. That asks that they achieve excellence by skillfully overlooking their own destruction. So one, yes. <laughs> Two, I have been thinking a lot about our roles in re- in liberation. Um, I've been thinking about Like when I was younger, I used to really believe that in order to reach liberation, like we have to go and educate a lot of people who are harming us. And so I have really been trying to find that balance between like taking care of myself because putting myself in those harmful spaces harms me. Um, But also like, how do we make sure that we all move forward? Um, And so I'm kind of torn because... For me, I feel like we should probably be looking past these systems, Um, or I'll use one example. Like I know a lot of Black people believe the way to liberation is educating white people. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
1: for Mm -hmm. me, I'm kind of past the idea that white people need to be educated to, um, to reach my own liberation. So I'm like, is it space for both of us? Is there a way for some people to maybe educate white people or whatever, but then for the rest of us to look past that and to try to imagine a world um, where we can all reach liberation.
2: Yeah, well, that's such a good, great question. Um, And that line was written about my mother after she... Uh, experienced some racism in the Hare Krishna temple she like wrote her guru and he basically was telling her to you know don't make it your problem you know that if if they're racist that's on them and uh, basically telling them to just ignore it (laughs) uh, in a way um, which is a lot of what we all do. And we have to right, walk this line living in a white supremacist world of you know, how much do we engage um, versus how much do we push back against? And like you say, how much do we try to educate people outside of um, outside of our experiences on, you know how to to treat us well. And so I'm in your, I'm in <laughs> the boat you're in of like, I know that for me in particular, um, it's not my job to educate white people um i'm I think I'm evolving on what that means for other people. I think ultimately like your work can't be done for white people um and still be freeing for us like it, it, it just I don't think that that's possible, but I do think that there is a possibility a possible world where a person could you know, that could be one avenue that they're using to do their work for Black people. Um, But I also know that for sure, that's not me. Um, I think it it gets, and I think for a lot of people who are doing that work, it's not for them either, because what ends up happening is they're using this energy that they could be using to love up on Black people uh, and to create different relationships with Black people and create different relationships with themselves uh, and giving that energy to, to white people. Uh, in a way that's usually wasted <laughs> because um, it's very hard to uh, teach white people things. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I think I, I, I don't think that I find more and more these days that I have less like clear one size fits all answers to things. Um, and I think you, you got to take a, a lot of, a lot of these um, situations um, And contextualize them based on what that specific situation is Um, but I know that for me and my work uh, that that's not something that I can do Um, and I also know that ultimately we need to be working on how we engage with ourselves uh, in different ways and so um, I think we can all do better to invest more energy that way versus, you know, trying to teach someone else how to engage with us.
1: Yes. I love something that you just said, and it reminded me of what Kese Lehman told me when I was like twenty twenty one, And I believe he told you this too, Danny, was to stop writing to white people. Um, And it completely changed the way that I approached my writing, because instead of giving all this energy to making sure that white people or men or just anyone who was, Oppressing me instead of making sure that they could understand where I was and try to empathize. I spent that energy, like redirecting it towards me and really centering, like, what did I need to hear when I was Mm -hmm. younger? And I guess this goes back to the inner child work, too. Um, But redirecting that energy to like, what did I need to hear? What did my friends need to hear? What did, you know, all of the Black people that I grew up with, what did we need to hear? And redirecting Mm -hmm. my writing towards that. So yes, thank yeah. you for that.
2: Yeah, and if, I mean, if white people learn things from that, um, then that's, I guess that's great. But, and, and I think that they can. And that's why I was I was kind of uh, hesitant to give a clear answer about white people in particular, because I think there is a lot of work that white people can do to learn um, from the ways that we engage with each other. But I think they learn it even better when we're not, you know, catering to them, um, because they have to do work t- to decenter themselves that I think is necessary for them to do uh, if they're if they are actually going to evolve in the first place. Um, so yeah, I think doing that work specifically for ourselves and for each other, and whatever happens beyond that, allowing that uh, to not take us away from doing that work uh, is, is really important.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I got past that in college, that battle, uphill battle with white people. Um, <laughs> so I really love your essay, My Gender is Black, um, which is on Afropunk, which we'll link in the description box, but it's also a revised version in the memoir. Um, because I think they're uh, different and the one in memoir is longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but so what you discuss in the essay mirrors like a few clumsy conversations I've been having with my friends mostly as I try to understand my own relationship to gender and so there's like two quotes in this that really stood out to me the first was blackness ruptures the laws of gender just like the laws of the state seem intent on rupturing black life and then gender identity under whiteness is a tool, not an end. How do we get to that? How we? How do we get to that end, that world in which all, all of our genders or lack thereof aren't used as the basis for our inhumane treatment? That is the question. So for myself, my shift in relationship to my own gender is connected to my spiritual journey as much as it is connected to my inner child work that I'm trying to do. And so you center children in this conversation as well, which makes sense when we think about like the ways a assi- the gender we were assigned is like violently enforced in childhood, whether it's through our parents, school, the doctor. Um, and so I'm interested to know um, how, or if this idea of blackness is not separate from, but wrapped up in our gender, how we articulate our gender. Um, and has that been impacted um, or is it a part of your spiritual journey? Like, um, because this it's it's something similar that I've heard people echo that like blackness is queer and our genders have always been queer because we've never had access to the binaries in particular ways.
2: Yeah, I mean I think it's very central. I mean to me my spiritual journey is about how I um understand myself in relation to the world, in relation to my people. Uh, in the, in relation to, you know, my healing. And so everything that is a part of that um, is a part of my healing and is a part of understanding how I relate to the world and the earth and uh, my people uh, is very, very central to, to that. Um, and so obviously, I think my gender and figuring out what that is has been a really big part of that. Um, and as I've learned different ways of relating to myself and my people um, like that's come hand in hand with learning different ways of relating to my, my gender I think move, the way we move through gender um, says a lot about you know how we um, where we are in relation to our communities um, so yeah for me that has definitely been a huge part of my spiritual journey as i Get further along my spiritual journey, I find that I'm learning a lot more about gender and and vice versa, Um, and it's in every. I think the way that I'm I think about my gender, I'm I'm able to see it in more in everything that I'm doing. Um, Not because everything has to be about gender and and has to be about you know the ways that I'm trying to reject it, but I think the the ways that we are socialized around gender, just show up in everything. Like it's it's part of how the white supremacy works. Um, and it's enforced by so many different things as you were inferring earlier. Um, so yeah, that was a roundabout way of just saying, yes, it's, it's a part of my spiritual journey.
0: Well, before we wrap up, um, obviously there was so much that we couldn't even touch on. Um, And like, this is a book that I feel like, well, I know is like a part of my, like a model for me in a lot of ways. And so it's, I'm probably, it's probably going to be one of those books I have to revisit every year, um, as I work through whatever I'm working through. And so, yeah, I just want to tell you, thank you for that and ask if you had any other final thoughts about anything we talked about or didn't touch on, um, in relation to Hoodoo and, inner child work and that kind of thing.
2: Um, No, thank you all so much. This was a really great conversation. It felt really beautiful. Um, and I'm so glad to have been here. I'm such a fan of y'all's podcast. Thank you. Um, and I learned so much listening to you. So it's, it's
1: just really exciting to be a part of it. Yes. Thank you for joining. I did have a personal question. Did you have like any resistance to writing a memoir so young?
2: Yeah, especially at first. Like, I think once I started the process, I kind of had gotten over it by that point. Um, But, yeah, I heard things like, you know, no one under 30 should ever be writing a memoir. And uh, (laughs) there are lots of good reasons, I guess, that people might feel that way. Um, But... What is a, a memoir as an exploration of you know life mm-hmm. and um, I realized that especially when thinking through the ways that we think about childhood and, and black children and what's valuable um, basically that's saying that you know our childhoods and the way that we perceive things as younger people um, is not valuable and there's nothing other people can learn from that and mm-hmm. I know that that's not true um, and so, once I put it in those terms, like I've, of course, these experience and that's what the book is about. Of course, these experiences and my perception of them as a, as someone who's younger is valuable. Um, and it might change later. the book that if if I were to write this book at, at sixty, it would be a different book. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean that it's a better or a worse book, but I think both of those perspectives are really important, and the perspectives of younger people on their lives need to be shared more often. Um, I wish that, you know, we could have kids writing memoirs because that would be a a whole different genre um, as well um, that would give us a lot of insight. So, yeah, once I put it in those terms, I kind of was like, no, that doesn't really uh, make sense. But initially, I did have a lot of those fears. Um, It kind of felt like um, a little presumptuous to, to do that. Um, and then, I mean, as I move along my spiritual journey, another thing that I'm finding is that, uh, I give myself a lot more space to be presumptuous and to just assert myself and to, um, to, to, to be okay with saying, you know, the things that I know are valuable and the ways that I show up is valuable. Um, and so, yeah, that's pretty much where I was when, when I, uh, start at the book
0: Okay. Yeah. Thank you for I that. Love that One thing that KSA Has said to me but I think that he Said like publicly maybe Is that You don't have to write just one Memoir like you, you can write One you can write multiple types Of memoirs um, And I think he said That because we were having a conversation How I and I still go Through this even though I'm about to be 29 Is that I always feel like I'm too young to like, or I don't have the range to grapple with some of the ideas that I'm thinking about, especially when I read um, his work and other people's work. And I'm like, I just don't have the range for this. Um, And so I definitely think it's connected to that. What people have told us about how you need to be like older and a more whatever, whatever comes with age or is supposed to come with age. Um, And I, I think about that all the time and it stays in my head. Like, you don't have to just, if you write in this version of yourself, that doesn't, it doesn't negate what, who you become and then you write whatever you write in that version yourself. It's all valid and important. So that's how yeah. I kind of.
2: Yeah. And it's uh, to me too, I think when you think of writing as like a, an answer or a destination, um, then th- then you you kind of foreclose the, the different possibilities of what writing can be. Like if like you're saying you you are just grappling with things, then uh, you know you have the range to grapple with it, even if you don't have the range to necessarily figure that out. And for me, the excitement is in the grappling. Like how do how do how am I working through this right now? Um, and I can do I I know I can work through it in a really interesting way because I'm the only person who can work through it. Uh, from where I am Uh, and so for me writing is about that process it's not necessarily about um, the answers that I come to or like um, this you know I'm not tying up the message in this bow at the end Uh, I love just grappling with shit on the page and uh, I can do that from whatever position
0: that I'm in Um, so yeah Thank you, um, Hari, for coming and talking to us and being on the show. We really appreciate you being here.
2: Thank you. I was like I said, I had such a great time and I'm I really appreciate being invited.
0: Well, Leah, what are you still holding on to from this interview?
1: Um, I'm holding on to so much. This was really great. Um I especially love the part where Hari said that Black childhood is denied from us. And even hearing their journey of how inner child work is necessary because, you know, they were never allowed to be a child. And it reminded me of this conversation I saw on Twitter where, you know, how often we say like kids are resilient and kids can bounce back. But we say these things not because they're true, but because a lot of times we don't want to acknowledge the harm that we are actively doing to kids by not acknowledging how we are harming them by not acknowledging their pain. I remember a lot of times, you know, I would go to my parents and I'd be like, Oh, I have this problem. And they'd be like, how do you have problems? You're a child. Children don't have problems. And so like in adulthood, I have all of these different problems that are manifested from the fact that like, I never got to resolve them in childhood. I was never seen as like, you know, someone who could be hurt. Um, Something else that I loved was towards the end when Hari talked about being young and writing this memoir and how also kids need to write memoirs because our childhood perspectives are important and should be listened to. And I feel like a lot of that is in line with our last episode with Hess, um, where they were talking about how Black people have been denied the ability to record our memory. And that's what memoir is, a recording of memory. And so just how much work needs to be done and not only listening to Black voices, but especially Black children's voices because like who among Black people have not been listened to, have not been centered, have not been heard, if not for? black children so yes i really love that and i also love when you were talking about not feeling like you have the range to write memoir and hari kind of giving us permission because like it's okay to grapple with things it's okay to not be perfect at something um because what we have to say right now in our lives matter as much as if we said it when we were like 60 um every stage of our life matters and is important. So yes, so much of this was so beautiful. And I love that Hari sat and talked to us. So what about you, Danny?
0: I really just love the concept of inner child work sort of being an extension of our liberation. Um, And I love the way they emphasize the importance of that work and how it impacts the way we relate to others, especially children. Um, And even as I kind of figure out what inner child work looks for me. One thing I'm learning is that a lot of folks treat children the way they were treated. They think of children the way they were treated. Even the whole um the way people fantasize and joke about how they will discipline their children, not the time they'll spend with their children, not the relationship building, but how they're gonna whoop them or whatever weird thing. And so a part of you know undoing that internalized Miss Afropedia that they talk about in the book, um, is really ensuring that we don't replicate that same violence, um, that we endured with our own children or with just other children that we have to interact with. Um, so I think that was really important that emphasis, like the way they were writing to their childhood self and those prayers, like that was some really, um, I hate to use the term powerful, but I just feel like that's some super powerful spiritual type of like, um, work to engage in, to really have to really face that part of yourself. And so I just really resonated, especially I resonated with the entire book, but I really resonated a lot with that. Um, and then same with you, Leah, I really, um, appreciated the mention of memoir writing and how people, make it seem like you shouldn't be a certain age or like, oh, you haven't lived enough to write about X, Y, and Z. Um, I think, you know, at every stage of our life, how we make sense of the world and our relationship to it, I think it matters. And I think we should be able to articulate that journey of living at whatever stage we are um, at. So, yeah, I just... I'm super thankful we got a chance to talk with them. And yeah, it was a beautiful memoir.
1: When I first read it, I was really interested in the religion parts of it. Um, And it was through your questions and you questioning it about the inner child work with Hari that I was like, like, she's right. There is a lot of inner child work and there's a lot of a lot of spiritual work in that I've I, believe harry was talking about like using hoodoo as part of their inner mm-hmm. child work and because hoodoo kind of complicates this idea of time time not being linear so you can always go back to your inner child you can always go back and do the things that you love to do as a child and that's been something that i i'm not gonna lie i've been struggling with trying to remember what were things that i liked to do when i was younger so that way I can do them again as an adult. And it's hard to remember because as they said earlier, like a lot of our childhood has been denied to us. And um, I don't even think a lot of us had like really developed hobbies before we were forced to become adults and be mature and know how to act and uh, be in this world. So, yeah, there's a bit of grief there too, because a lot of us have never had to acknowledge that our childhood itself is something that we've lost and something that we need to grieve. So definitely if you have not read this book, definitely check out um Black Boy out of Time.
0: Well, if you like this episode, you can like, rate and review who do plant mamas. On Apple Podcasts, we are now at twenty-five star ratings. Wow. Yes, thank y'all for the
1: five stars. If anything from the show resonated with you, make sure to share it with us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Hootie Plants and Instagram at Hootie Plant Mamas. Stay tuned for our next episode. Bye y'all.